the morning Proverbs class, Sunday morning, February 17th. In our country, we're celebrating President's Day tomorrow, so we thank the Lord for good and godly leadership over the centuries. This morning, we're going to look at a biblical perspective on the earth. It'll be evident why as we look at the first section that Proverbs references the earth, in particular in the prologue, but let's pray together. Our Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning for the enormous privilege of gathering. You have brought us to this place. It is by your grace and mercy, your astounding, eternal, and unfailing love for us that we have an interest in you and your word, and that we know your glorious and precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the creator of all things. Thank you for making us, making us in your image. Thank you for making us to live on this earth. As our home. Thank you for what the Bible teaches us about the earth. And we pray that the Word of God will inform our thinking and our lives. And therefore, as we study your Word, we will be increasingly conformed to your image and good stewards of the earth. Help our discussion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How you live on the earth is a wisdom issue. So it's no. accident that Proverbs references the earth in the prologue in particular. Somebody read 319 for us. Why does he tell you that? You can really ask that question of almost any verse in the Bible. Why is the Bible telling me that? So if you're reading devotionally and you read that, you might pause and go, why does the Lord want me to know that? Anybody? Why is he? So so many people think he did not. Okay. (laughs) Today a lot of people think he didn't. Right. Right. There's a a scientific theory most of you are probably familiar with that was designed to account for the origin of the earth without God. Mm -hmm. How can we explain everything we have without God. So you know from the beginning it's flawed, right? Because the presupposition of the whole theory is to explain creation without God. And of course God is the creator. So why else has he told us that? Why does he want you to know by wisdom he founded the earth? His understanding established the heavens. We live here. here. And there's sometimes very frightening things about the earth. Yes. And to know that God is behind it all. <laughs> is comforting. Yes, it is, Allison. To know God is behind all the frightening things that happen. Earthquakes, <laughs> tornadoes, hurricanes, hailstorms, lots of things like that. Good, thank you. Proverbs 8.23, this is a lady wisdom speaking. She's a literary device that personifies wisdom. I think it's reasonable to understand that because in the New Testament we're told in Colossians 2 all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ that she, at least in some measure, prefigures the Lord Jesus Christ. But Lady Wisdom says, From everlasting, I was established from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. So the principle that God is going to um, wire earth to be lived according to wisdom is right there from the beginning of the earth. And this, again, as Allison said, this is the place we find ourselves living. Proverbs 8.26, who would read that for us? While he had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the world. So God wants you to consider certain things on earth in light of 
the initial creation of the earth. For some reason. It's going to help us. It's going to humble us. How about 829? When he set the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Okay, more descriptions of God's creative activity. Why does the Atlantic Ocean go where it goes? That's exactly where God wants it. Now, obviously, um, I say obviously, the, the original creation that we read about in Genesis, the way it looked, is not the, is not the same as the way it looks now because of what? Great flood. The universal flood. If the text is true, the waters covered the earth, even whatever mountains were on the earth. And as the waters receded, the deeps were broken open, the mountains rose, and there's different views about what catastrophic geology teaches and shows us. But this, the earth doesn't look exactly the same. Like it would be hard to, to establish the two rivers that flowed out of Eden exactly now because the, the earth looks different than it did then. It's been flooded since the Garden of Eden. Okay. But God wants you to know something about uh, his authority over the ocean. It only goes as far as he wants it to. How about uh, Proverbs 8.31? Again, Lady Wisdom speaking. Rejoicing in the world, his earth, having my delight in the sons of men. So, so there's something to rejoice over about the earth. So let's ask this question again. Maybe it's, I've already asked you, but why does the Lord want you to know him as creator? Because he reveals himself in his creation. And if we don't believe he created it, then we might not see that. Okay. God wants to be known. He wants to be known for who he is. He wants to be known accurately. One of the points I'll make in my sermon this morning is that you have a responsibility to believe about God what? Everything he's revealed about himself, nothing more, nothing less. You and I must believe everything God's revealed about himself, nothing more, nothing less. And one of the points is the creation is a, an enormous, visible, accessible source of revelation about God. We'll see later on from Romans 1 how it testifies to his divine attributes. So clearly, no one is without excuse. The famous uh, atheist Bertrand Russell, who wrote a book in the 1950s called Why I'm Not a Christian, said, well, what if you die and you find yourself surprisingly standing before God? What will you say to God? His answer was, not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. Not enough evidence. And Paul says, plenty of evidence, lots of evidence, abundant evidence, a plethora of evidence that God is and that we know him in our heart of hearts. So why does God want you to know him as creator? That's one answer. Any other answers? Why does he want you to know him as creator? Jordan? Psalm 8, he goes out on his rooftop in Jerusalem on a really dark night, all the floodlights are turned off, 
and he sees the heavens, and he goes, what is man that you consider him, or the son of man that you can find? He's humbled by the vastness of creation, and then he says, yet I'm terribly significant. You're terribly significant to God, even though the universe is as vast as it is. God is never not in, in your presence thinking about your welfare. With time unbroken, he's never not. And that's true for billions of people simultaneously. So it shows you something of the vastness of God, the incomprehensibility of God, the eternity of God, the unchangeableness of God. All these attributes should move us to what? Worship. As we're going to see from Psalm 33, let all the earth stand in awe of him. Give him the glory and the worship he deserves. So then B, why is the earth important? Some of these things we, we've uh, seen, but number one, why is it important? Aaron, read that for us. It is where we live, sustains us, immediately connected to it. Okay. We live on this earth. You don't, you don't have a choice. To, so it's important for that reason. Number two, Rachel, why is the earth important? Okay, and it's saying something to us. Good. Irfan, number three. Scripture has a lot to say about it. Yeah, that's reason enough to, to study Earth. Number four. Catherine. God made it and rejoices in it. Okay, we want to rejoice in what God rejoices in. Don't be nervous. I'm going to run out of names to call them. So. <laughs> <laughs> number five. Why should why is the Earth important? Number five. Reveals much about God. We've seen that number six. The earth is? Yeah, this is the place God has chosen to reveal the glory of his redemption. It's not on Mars. It's not on the moon. This is the place that the glorious splendor of the invisible God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this earth. And seven... Okay, so there's such an intricate connection between human beings and the earth. For whom was the earth made? It was made for us. It is not its own thing. Remember I reminded you when we had the ladies from the pregnancy centers that the uh, French scientists who invented the abortion pill, RU486, said this, Saving human lives is rather inconsequential in light of saving the planet. So his worldview begins with a presupposition. The planet is what counts, not human lives. That's exactly the opposite of the biblical perspective. We're the pinnacle of creation. It was made for us. So intricate is the connection that when sin entered the world, the creation fell. And we're told in Romans 8, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, the creation is now groaning and waiting to be released from its bondage to decay. It was never meant to decay. Never meant to be at odds with us. That's the intricate connection right there. And uh, you know that, Dory? Yeah, so when we say God rejoices in it, we say he rejoices in it as pre-fall. I mean, he doesn't rejoice in it post-fall because it's going to be burned and it's going to be a place of judgment. Or can you say that God rejoices in it even now? Well, when, it's a great question. Uh, before I answer, what do you all think? I would say that uh, 
its fallen state, it brings glory to God. Yes. Because when something that's created does what it's created to do, it brings glory to God. Yes. Is it good? It does or it can? It does. Even fallen people bring glory to God by doing the things that God created them to be able to do. So there, there is glory that is given to God even in its fallen state. It's a witness to, to God, so that will bring him glory. As pe- even in its brokenness, people see who God is. Every seed that's planted falls into the ground and becomes a plant is doing exactly what God designed it to do, and therefore bringing glory to God. I, I think he still rejoices in his earth. It's his earth. Psalm 24, 1 begins what? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so every tree, the, the, the scripture talks about the trees and the mountains praising God. The rocks will cry out if human beings don't. The rocks will praise Him. And that would be my thought on that. Or am I missing your point? No, no, no. I'm not missing in a totality or it, it can or it, 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 it all does now. I mean, God sent Christ to redeem us because of the fall. Yes. And so there's a redemption coming yes. to, if you want to say, more greatly glorify God in the new heaven and the new earth. Yes. And also. Yes. I'm just. Yeah. Something I wrestled with pretty much all my Christian life is, is you know, pre fall and then. Because they weren't pre fall, they weren't the thorns and thistles that right. Adam was struggling with. Or sunburn, or poisonous snakes, or poison ivy, or hurricanes. None of that existed before the fall, right? It's here because of the fall. Sorry, right. continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, it's hard for me to say that God rejoices in the fall of creation. Was that because he did something about it? <laughs> to and he's got a plan that will be redeemed. That's okay. Like, I'm thinking about this, this question: Why does he want us to know him as Creator uh-huh. in particular? Well, because we're made in His image, right? So we have that creative impulse as well. So what we're doing with the fallen creation is what we do with it is born out of that impulse to create. Right? Yeah. Like hopefully to redeem it. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, I don't know, creating beautiful buildings or making a, a garden. Yes. Of. Yes. Amen and amen. And that, by doing those things, we're understanding in some small part him as creator. Yes. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just one thinking story of that. Yeah. I mean, it has to do with your. Again, yeah. When we're, when we're redeemed, then we're called to redeem. Uh, because we're made in this image, we're trying to live in that image and redeem all of life that, that we can in that, in that sphere. Yeah. So, um, the geniuses who invented fill in the blank air conditioning, uh, indoor plumbing, the ability to produce food the way that we do, a 747? Come on. Are you kidding? Think about the, that just reveals the glory of God's mind. Because these minds, whether or not they acknowledge it, they're borrowing 
and using intellectual collateral about the nature of the way God's wild the world to develop jet engines. They're stunning. I, I'm just in awe. <laughs> no, I never get bored like driving to an airport and seeing a jet plane and just go, wow! I'm easily, I'm easily tantalized, as you can tell. And my cell phone, look, go ahead. And the difference between us and God is that God created ex nihilo out of nothing. Why would the new heavens? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I, mean, I mean, he's going to burn the earth and make a new earth. Oh, for the new heavens versus yes. the new earth? Well, for one thing, there's not going to be any sun. There's going to be no sun in the new creation. It's gone. Jesus is the light that illumines our... The sun will be gone. So that's going to change the heavens significantly. God is committed to the earth. But her question is, yes, a new, we're, God's going to create a new earth, right. but why a new heavens? Right. Andy? In this case, you're talking about the, you believe that means physical heavens, not the, where God lives in. Well, how will the heavenly sphere change in the spiritual realm? How's that going to change? Heaven will come to earth. Heaven comes to earth, and what's now in the spiritual realm? The spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness in the heavenly places. Where are they going? into the eternal fire. So there'll be a change in the spiritual heavens for sure. And heaven is coming to earth and we will be in the presence of God forever. That's a huge change from what we have now. Good question. Haven't ever thought about that. And they're going to be stars. I don't think we're going to see them because I think, I think the, the, um, the glory of Jesus is going to illuminate constantly. So there will be... Light constantly? No more night. Is that what it means when it says no more night? Is there going to be night in the new heavens and the new earth? Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. Therefore, creation should prompt you to. How would you fill in the blank? Praise the Lord. Praise Him. Worship Him. Study it. Study it. I know a fifth grade teacher in a classical Christian school in Lynchburg, Virginia, I've known her for 40 years, who put this verse on the door of her classroom. 
Psalm 111.2, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. One of Janice's goals, my wife's goals, was to get her students to delight in the works of the Lord. She's a wonderful science teacher. I hope some of you ladies heard her presentation in this room about a month ago on the creation. Okay, we're going to push pause. So far, so good on points A and B and the rest of the teaching. Probably not going to finish this handout today, which is fine. Um, any comments to make, Janice? Are you going to include the Psalm 115 that we talked about this week, verse 15 and 16? May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. What am I supposed to say about that? Well, I didn't know. <laughs> that we shouldn't send rockets to the moon? I don't know. I don't know. No, just that he's given the, the earth to... Given it to us. Right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It just kind of popped out. Yeah. I think God gives birth to us, we should cherish it rather than abuse it. Uh, yes. People sometimes just use it for their own gain. I think that's wrong. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Christians should be the most responsible environmentalists of any group of people. Now, exactly what that looks like and how it's played out is another question. And oftentimes we just pollute the earth because it's the cheapest way to do business. Right? It's all about the almighty dollar. Well, maybe we need to spend more money to do it right as stewards of God's earth and have less so that we're stewards of God's earth. That's your point. Or am I extrapolating on you? <laughs> and also, you, you brought up a good point that God gives earth to us, the people. Human beings are more important. Is that what I understood? We are more important than the earth. Yeah, I, I think, while well, I came initially from China, I think they have one child policy. Initially, the reason was that they said, oh, we, we don't have enough resources to raise all these human beings that have abortion. I think somehow they put the resources or the earth, I don't know, maybe more important than human life, uh, somehow underneath, I think that's a big deal. Good. You see, they have limited resources, they cannot support them. So there's some complex issues, right, that people have to talk about. Certainly, the issue of limited resources is not solved by doing what? Killing babies. That couldn't be the solution, could it? It couldn't be the solution. That's sin. Killing the babies. So anyway, complex issues. Uh, we do have limited resources. How we use them is one question. How we pray and ask God to give us faith to develop those resources and preserve them is another question. Every nation ought to be doing calling on the name of the Lord. How do we become good stewards of the resource that we have? How do we produce food for people? It's incredibly important stuff, right? I like the bumper sticker of uh, if you eat food, thank a farmer. Thank, thank the Lord for our farmers. Let's move to C then. Good comments. Just feel free to stop me if you want to say anything. I mean, just sorry, but you just look in the mirror at your eye. It should cause us to be breathless with all the human eye. Beloved, this does not come about by the chance co-location of Adam slugging it out in the primordial slime. This did not come from that. It's impossible and even today's Darwinian evolutionists don't believe life started on this planet. They've got now the theory of panspermia. It came from outer space. That's how it got here. That's one of the new theories of evolution. They know mathematically it didn't start here. And they know even, even the hopeful monster, uh, V. 
view of, in evolution, punctua is it punctuated equilibrium? That because we can't find the transition forms in the fossil record, what happened is, uh, uh, you know, uh, an, a, an animal just produced a species that jumped all the transitions. That thoughtful evolutionists, many of them, admit life didn't start here from the pr primordial ooze. It couldn't have. All right, another subject for another day. Don't get me started. <laughs> In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, right? So here's the summary of scriptural teaching on creation. Number one, God created everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. He wants you to have a God-centered worldview, a theocentric worldview. Everything starts from God. Everything starts with God. So why did he create everything? Let's list the reasons. Number one, for his glory. Somebody read for us Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. you created all things and by Thank you. God created everything. To him be the glory. Why were they created? For his glory. So we, we, are, we are given the privilege of bringing glory to God by our observations and studies and enjoyment of the creation. Thank you that this food tastes good, Lord. How often do you pray that before a meal? Thank you for my taste buds, Lord. Food doesn't have to taste good. It tastes good by God's design. Taste buds didn't come from a primordial oozing of slime by chance and time. They didn't come from that. They came from God. He delighted to give you the enjoyment of taste. That's just who he is. Somebody read Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Thank you, Frank. So how is the psalmist speaking there? Scientifically or phenomenologically? He's speaking phenomenologically. The way we experience the sun on this earth is it's like a bride, a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rises and there's all this strength and you can't stop it and he wants to go get his bride. It's a beautiful image of so this isn't the Bible being archaic and unscientific. It's just speaking phenomenologically the way we experience the sun. What, are, what in fact are the heavens and the earth proclaiming in their wordless voice? What are they proclaiming? There is a God. His glory. His workmanship. How many people do you know that have created a star? Have designed a plant? To be exactly what a plant is. Okay, why has God uh, created everything? Secondly, through the agency of the sun. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Got it, Hugh? Do you feel comfortable? Okay. Christ is the invisible image of the 
creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as uh, friends, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in an unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Okay, so Jesus Christ is holding the whole creation together. It's echoed in Hebrews 1 by the word of his power. Jesus is holding the entire creation together, lest every molecule in the universe would fly into chaos if he didn't. So get up every morning and say, thank you, Jesus, through the night and this morning. You're holding the creation together. That should lead me to humbly obey you, seek you, know you, serve you, adore you, Maybe some of us devote our lives to understanding how this creation bears on human life, etc., etc. And as Frank pointed out a little bit earlier, he created everything ex nihilo, that's Latin for out of nothing. Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And this is pretty true to the creation account. The earth was formless and void, and God begins to speak, and things come into being. It's kind of hard to imagine. Is there anything like it in human experience? You just speak, and something non-material materializes? I don't know, but this is what God has done. He spoke the creation into existence. And think of your salvation. You know why you have a new heart, a heart that longs to be saved by Jesus, a heart that longs to obey and follow Jesus, he spoke it into existence. He declared that you would have a new heart. What dramatic picture did the prophet Ezekiel have that shows this in the Old Testament? The valley of dry bones, Ezekiel 37. He said, come here, son of man, Ezekiel, and look. See, what do you see? Bones. Speak over them. So the word of God has inherent power in it. The very word of God, the spoken word, to have power. And those bones come together. Speak again, and then they come to life. This is just what Lazarus, what Jesus does at the grave of Lazarus in John 11. Lazarus is dead. <clears throat> the life is left him. Jesus speaks, come forth. And by virtue of that very word, that power, Lazarus comes to life. Same for our salvation. We owe our salvation to the word of God spoken over us that we would come to life. He creates that faith and repentance unto life in us. That's why we, and that's what Reformed people believe, which most of us are, we should be the most humble of all people, the most praiseful of all people. Our, our praise should be louder than anyone's. It should be dramatic. It should be demonstrative, for my two cents. It should be like, I can't get enough of this guy. Wait a minute, that's wrong. I can't get enough. <laughs> Come on, people! You see a good sporting event, you go, yes! That's because your emotions and your body are connected. Why do we do that? Why do we stop that when we come to church? Another discussion for another day. I'm just the interim. <laughs> I've got to run it. <laughs> Frozen Who turned the temperature down? I don't know. Just start with yourself. What's inhibiting you? Start in your private devotions, raising your hands. 
And bowing down. And bowing down, yes. That's right. Okay, sorry. Another boy, this is the Sunday morning of this diversions, isn't it? Mike, it's ten o'clock. Yes, thank you. Good. Can I make one other yes. simple point? Yes. Uh, you know, for kids, it's a hard thing for them to imagine. But it's kind of like you can say the cake. You know, how do you make a cake? You go in the closet, get the salt and the sugar and the flour, you know. But God didn't have salt and sugar and flour in the in the in his pantry. You know, he's just spoken. Uh, you know, it kind of is a helpful picture, maybe. Good. And we're probably not going to finish this handout today, which is fine, right? We just we want more good dialogue and discussion and thoughts. So again, we are answering the question: uh, God created everything for 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 what reasons or how? And the next one is by divine fiat. Actually, we've just been saying this, haven't we? Uh, by a powerfully spoken word, Genesis one three. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. That's all it took. God said it, and it happened. Somebody read for us the first few verses of Psalm 33, which echo this very thing. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise Him. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything He does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unveiling love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the ocean in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. Thank you. It's pretty unambiguous. Creation by divine fiat. It's unambiguous, isn't it? And can you blame the psalmist from going, from going, he breathed the word, all the stars were born, all of them. How many like stars are there, the scientists tell us? Innumerable numbers, and God said, okay, you're there. And can you blame the psalmist for concluding, let the whole world fear the Lord and stand in awe of him? That's exactly what should happen in in light of this. And look, the reason I don't is the dullness of my own heart and the blindness of my own spiritual eyes. The glory is there. That I don't do that, that's on me. That's on me. Um... For he spoke, the world began, it appeared as his command. How about Psalm 148, 5 and 6? Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and they shall not pass away. Thank you, Dora. In the beginning of the psalmist, the stars and the moon and the heavenly, that, that they're supposed to praise God because they existed by, at his command. How much more us made in his image? Stars aren't in the image of God. Trees aren't in the image of God. We are. So, uh, and then in the, it's all very good. Genesis 131, the Lord looked over all he'd made and saw it was very good. So that very good that God sees does not have in it death, decay, tornadoes, poison ivy, poisonous snakes. Frankly, no snakes at all. <laughs> That's not in the good creation God made. Right? There's perfect harmony between human beings and the creation. And we have authority over the creation to do with it what we're called to do. Make food, etc. I've given to you the doctrinal standards of our denomination, the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is what your officers have said they believe unless they took some sort of exception. And this is in the beginning of the uh, confession. 
chapter 4, verse 1, as it relates to the creation, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. So, God is showing something. He's manifesting something. What? His glory, uh, power, and goodness. In the beginning, to create or make of nothing the world, all things therein, whether visible and invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. Okay? Just so you know, in the Presbyterian Church of America, our denomination, there is a, a paper produced that allows a variety of views of creation based on this warning. Okay? I personally am a six literal day creationist. I believe in six 24 hour days, God finished his work of creation. There are people with different views that are permissible within the denomination. What is really not permissible is, is uh, Darwinian evolution that basically says we don't need God. The whole thing started without God and moved along without God. That's not permissible because it's so pernicious and so antithetical to who God is. But I want you to know there are different views among Bible-believing, well-meaning Christians about exactly how all this came to be. That's our confession. It's a good summary of much of the verses we've been looking at. God created, why did he create everything? For man to rule over how many minutes, Mary? Oh, you still have about eight minutes. Eight? Yeah. Somebody read uh, Genesis 1.26 for us. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Okay, who, whose are they? They're ours. The fish, the birds, the animals, even those stinking squirrels in my backyard that get in my bird feeder. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> They're all gods. <laughs> okay? And uh, we're to rule over them. And one act of ruling was doing what? what? What was one thing that human beings showed they had dominion over them when they named them? Named them. And if you belong to Jesus, you have a new name. What is it? Christian. That means you belong to him. He has authority over you. He rules you. Isn't that great? Because we're so awful at ruling ourselves. And we have authority to kill them, too. We have authority to kill them, yeah. Although a good case could be made that before the fall, Adam and Eve ate a vegetarian diet. Very good case to be made, they were vegetarians. But we now in the New Testament, all foods declared clean, right? Jesus' teaching and Peter's vision with the sheet and everything, we can eat whatever we want. Crab <laughs> But I would encourage you to eat healthily. <laughs> yes, Allison. After the flood, God gave Noah permission to eat animals. Yes. yes. Before they ate Doesn't look like there's any animals killed right before the flood. Good. Thank you. Okay. He killed animals to make. Clothes for and God's the first person to kill an animal. Yeah. Right? To co coverings for Adam and Eve. Yeah. That's right. Okay, to meet man's needs. Genesis 1. Notice it's all laid out in the book of beginnings. Genesis, the book of beginnings. It's, you can't understand your life on the earth apart from these, from these verses. Somebody read Genesis 1, 29 to 34. And God said, Look, I have given you everything. 
Thank you, Lisa. It's all for us. It's good for us. And it was uh, in a a finished state. Genesis 2, 1 to 2. Somebody who hasn't read, read for us. Okay, so at some point in time, however long you want to make these yom, this Hebrew word, at some point in time, it's finished. God rested from the creative activity of making the world what he wanted it to be. Now, he still works doing what? Sustaining it, maintaining it, upholding it by the word of his power, causing it to produce food. The only reason seeds sprout into plants that produce fruit, the only reason is God makes it that way. A scientist can't tell you why a seed sprouts. It just does. Under certain conditions, when the earth is warm and the water is there, it sprouts. But they can't tell you why. They can tell you that it does. We know why. God wants it to. God made it to. Because he loves you and wants to give you food. Five minutes. Okay. Um, he sustains it by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3, I've alluded to this already. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. It would make you want to say what? Well, Lord, then rule my life by the power of your word. And I know you believe that or you wouldn't be in a Bible-believing church. That's one of the things this church has stood for for a hundred and, is it ten years? 110 years, is the power of God's word to shape human lives, to convert them, to change them, to constrain our sin and rebellion and pride. We believe in the power of God's word. Really, nothing good happens when the word of God is taught or preached apart from his power. We're utterly dependent on God adding his power to it. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's a witness to his goodness Ooh, I just love Psalm 145. Too bad we can only dip into two verses of it. Who would read that for us? The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Thank you, Catherine. What's this verse saying? What's it say to you? Ask the average man on the street, what is God like? is the first impulse of their mind to say, he's good. He's irrepressibly generous. He can't not provide for his creatures. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Hitler enjoyed the taste of his food and drink to the day he died. Why? The kindness of the hand of God never moved him to repent of his evil. Should have. Does it move us to repent of our evil? See, we can't get away from the doctrine of creation and the doctrine of pastoring. <laughs> I can't separate those. <laughs> the Lord's good. His his um his mercy is over all his works. If mercy could appear as let's just say red hearts, since we just had Valentine's Day. And you went up into outer space and took one of those NASA images of the earth, all you would see is red hearts. His mercy is over all his works. 
And it's high time that human beings acknowledge it and say, yes, you created me for and by and you sustain me. By your mercy, I don't deserve this. Let all the earth stand in awe of him. It will one day. It will one day. Jesus is coming again, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. One day it will happen. Until that day, we are given the privilege of what? Doing our part to spreading the knowledge of the glory of God over the earth as the waters cover the earth. And Wallace has had its hand in doing that as well, sending missionaries, teachers, all over the world for decades. Thank the Lord for a faithful church that believes this. Am I out of time? Okay. So any last comments or thoughts from any of you? We will pick up next time uh, right there as a witness to his goodness in Psalm 104. Any last thoughts or comments? Does this excite you as much as it excites me? The doctrine of creation is just, ooh! (laughs) I think it is a wisdom issue, right? How we use it, how we enjoy it, how we live on it, clearly is a wisdom issue. Let's pray. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Lord, best of all, is that we're on this earth and you've claimed us for yourself. We belong to you. Thank you for the unspeakably enormous price of making us your own. The life of your own dear son, Jesus, Lord Jesus, we've come to this place to adore you and worship you, so now pour out grace on our assembly that we will bring you the glory you deserve as we sing and pray and listen and worship and take the sacrament. Let us bring glory to you. Change us and make us good stewards of this earth and faithful, uh, faithful, live faithfully on this earth while we have breath. In Jesus' name, amen.